What do you call it when you hit a Formula One driver? I don't know. A Max for slap in the face. <laughs> <laughs> that is good to be no, fair. I really didn't want to laugh. <laughs> but it was your facial expression. <laughs> a Max for slap in the face. Yeah, I know. That just, need, that just needed jazz hands and that would have been perfect. <laughs> yeah, I know. I am actually uh, pretty proud of that one, to be fair. Oh, my God. Okay, what a great start to the episode. And welcome to Cinemasters, live on Forge Radio and now available on Spotify for your weekend slash week viewing. With me, Henry Williams. And sadly, no Mikey Johnson this week. Just me, Tom Pridge and Mikey will be back next week. But in the meantime, let's get on with Cinemasters. So what this show is, is basically each week we watch and review a newly released film or documentary. And in the process, we try not to argue, fall out. And don't worry, I've definitely pressed record on Audacity. So again, another one-take wonder from us. Yeah, I know. Wonderful. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite impressive when a radio show is a one-take wonder. I think it's quite novel, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Never been done before. Um, so, after our hiatus, we are back this week reviewing Netflix's smash hit documentary, the fourth season of Drive to Survive. So for those of you who don't know what Drive to Survive is, essentially Drive to Survive is the kind of behind-the-scenes season review of the Formula One season of the previous year. That's the best way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, right? exactly. Think about it as like a fly-on-the-wall sort of documentary series mm. that covers it over the year. Yeah. Which is quite interesting because, you know, it, for football fans out there, for sports fans, we've had things like the Premier League years, which is a series on Sky where they kind of review the year that's just gone. This is kind of taking it that one step further with a... Um, I sort of, how, how do I describe like, like you say, the fly on the wall thing, given all the inside scoop, the behind the scenes. And I mean, let's get into it. What, what do you think of it as a, as a premise then? As a premise, I think it's great. I think that I've watched every season so far. You have as well, haven't yes. you? Yeah. yeah. So I've watched all of it so far. And I think that it's really interesting. I think it's a great premise. I think that for sports fans around the world, you love to watch the sport, but you also want to know which you know, elements of you know, the, the teams and, and, and the individuals go into making the winning or losing formula. So I think it's really good. And I, I like how um, behind the scenes it, it is. And, you, you know, you also get to learn a bit more about the personalities behind it and the politics as well, because Formula One isn't just fastest car wins. You know, the best driver gets in the seat. It's very much a political, you've got to play your cards right sort of game. And I think you kind of see that strategy um, throughout all four seasons, really. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the the good things that this uh, series has done is given okay so i started fo following formula one in 2013 when hamilton first moved to mercedes but saying that there's been a whole new crop of formula one fans that have really fallen in love with the sport because of drive to survive and i think that i think that's that's brilliant for formula one yeah. because it, it makes it, it, it there was a, there was a time where i feel people thought that Formula One wasn't very accessible. It, it was a, a sort of a family heritage thing that it was passed down. A, a, a like a, a fandom of Formula One was passed down rather than you could just fall into it mm. like, like football or rugby is. But I think it's really good that this show has given that chance to people to, yeah, even if you've never seen it before, or maybe if it was, uh, funny enough, I was talking to a friend of mine and she was saying how cars has always been a part of her life. Her dad is a... Um, a huge fan of cars. All the family holidays had to be car orientated. I think her her dog's called Enzo, who's named after mm -hmm. Ferrari. Like she's, but she's never really been that um, engrossed in Formula One. But this, she was she was saying that this series of Drive to Survive, she might um, she might actually give it a go because of how because of how well the series conveyed Formula One and everything all to do with Formula One. And I think that it's difficult because that does have its benefits. Of course it does. But at the same time, I'm a little bit wary of a series that is supposed to be journalistic, could be manipulated in a way that makes it a bit more showcasey. Yeah, I agree. And, and, I, complete, uh, and I think that that's one of the big themes about it. We might as well just get into it now, really. Yeah. So the thing about Drive to Survive is you watch it 
And each episode is kind of loosely around a different plot. You know, there's a different narrative to each episode. And when I first ever watched it, I took it at face value. And I thought, well, that's the, that's the narrative. You know, these interviews have happened. And so as a result of that, that's the narrative that's formed for the, you know, the showmakers and the editors to work around. As it's gone on, I've started to think that it's the showmakers and editors, producers, etc. They're the ones that are making the narratives and they edit and cut the clips to form the showbiz of, of what they're trying to make. And I've seen a few examples of that. You know, Max Verstappen, for example, refuses to give interviews for Drive to Survive because he says that, you know, they can make it whatever they want. They can make the story what they want it to be. And I think that's really interesting. I've also seen one, and it was in the, in the third season. It was Lando Norris driving. He's a, a racer from McLaren. I'm an up-and-comer, but, you know, he, he's doing well now. Um, and it was him, and it was like this, this feud between him and his good friend and former teammate, Carlos Sainz. And what they'd done is they'd had Norris going along, and he'd been like, what is he doing? Maybe there was some expletives in there. And then you actually watch a clip on YouTube and that him saying, what is he doing? It's nothing to do with science. He was saying it to a completely different driver in a completely different race. And I, okay. Do you, so you have a, do you have a problem with this then? Yeah. If, if they're saying that he's saying that about another driver and it turns out it's a completely different driver he's talking about, of course I do. Okay. And this, and this is when I said it's troubling. It's a troubling thing. I'm not necessarily sure whether it's troubling for me because, and here's, here's the thing. Are you not, do you not think the greater good that Formula One is expanding kind of supersedes any, honestly, it's a net, realistically, Henry, it's a Netflix show. So I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm all for the sort I, of... I agree. And I'm, I'm for Drive to Survive. I'm not against Drive. I really like it. And I do look forward to it each year. But I also think that there's one thing, you know, making it engrossing and trying to um, broader the, you know, the, the interest for a sport. There's a whole other thing completely making up something which hasn't happened. That's different. And I think you, I think you do get that. I get it. But at the same time, you know, I hear this sort of virtue signaling from Max Verstappen, like, oh, I'm not going to do it because I want to keep... Ridiculous. Look, the, the fact is, if, if Christian Horner is willing to do it, Toto Wolff is willing to do it, Lewis Hamilton, I don't think anyone can be too good for something like that. And I think Max Verstappen's trying to make himself out to be a bit too good. I don't know if he's too good, but I don't think he'd be trying to say he's too good for it. Because in what grounds can he do that? Because realistically, That's literally my point. What grounds can he do it on? So I'm saying that it does, it's not a reasonable explanation, though, because if he thought he was too good for it, well, Hamilton's doing it, for Christ's sake, you know? And I think that if you, if you break it down, I don't really think that's what it is. I think it is because, as we've seen with the editing, it's like something with like Love Island, for example. They can kind of make people to be a cool, popular guy to an extent as much as they really want, because we only see little snippets. What, there are 10 episodes in Drive to Survive, over 20 races. You know, think about how many interviews go into it, how many um, segments that they have to get rid of. You know, the power that the editors have is absolutely huge. And so I think he just doesn't want to get himself caught up in a position where he could look a fool because of it. I think the, my sort of issue with, with everything that I heard from Max Verstappen, like you said, and I, I did watch uh, and listen to the interview where he said that there's a good reason that he doesn't want to do the Drive to Survive interviews. I kind of feel like everyone else in Formula One is in the same boat here. We they all understand that this is nothing more than a puff piece. This is nothing more than a promo tool for Formula One to make it bigger. And look, let's be honest, the last Formula One Grand Prix, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, had more viewership than the Super Bowl this year. And that's the first time that's happened. I think when I think it's the first time it's, I was reading something, it's the first time it's happened since the nineties. Yeah, I, I I didn't know that. That's actually it's crazy. crazy yeah, it's it's a huge step for Formula One, and I'm not saying that was down to Drive to Survive. We can get into the ins and outs of why that is later. I think that's quite an interesting discussion to have. But at the same time, I think to sort of dwell on the fact that it isn't that journalistic, it isn't that honest. I think is a I I just think it's a a nothing a, a bit of a damp squib in a way. But I'm not I'm not saying it's journalistic. I don't I don't see it as journalism. This this piece. I think of it as. <clears throat> I was going to say documenting, and you can kind of put them side by <laughs> I side. Say, <laughs> I don't say it's journalism. It's a documentary. But, but, like... but, but I don't know. I don't, uh, yeah, but it's not journalism in the, in the purest of senses, no. But it is telling a story. And I think you have to tell the story in the correct way. And I think that if you're extracting a, a voice clip from one thing and applying it to something else and making it out to be something completely else, that's different. And if they're, uh, if they're twisting it a little bit to make it seem a little bit more dramatic, I don't have a problem with that because I get it. It has to be engrossing. 
but just lying and making things up and, and, and you know, and, and taking snippets here and there. No, I, I, I do have a problem with that. Yeah. I mean, taking it, let's, let's kind of take the draft survive at face value then and not, what do you, what do you think of, of it as a series in terms of, is it, would you recommend it to someone? I think it's particularly well shot firstly. Yeah. I always have recommended it to someone. When I first came across it, I was instantly like telling people, you know, you have to watch this because I was always interested in Formula One. I'd always, I always knew what was happening and followed it, <laughs> but now I'm, you know, well into it and I, and I, and I, and I get it. And I think a lot of that is down to Drive to Survive. I think I feel so much more connected to Formula One because of Drive to Survive. I don't think, I mean, as I say, I've been following it since 2013, but I don't really think that until season one of Drive to Survive came out, I don't really felt like I, um, I guess knew the sport in the same way. And I mean, no, is in not like knowledge and stats based. Cause I, I mean, we could reel those off. But I felt like, you know, with the interviews, with the sort of behind the scenes stuff, you really feel like you're all of a sudden involved in what's going on in Formula One. Now you feel like, and in many ways, I kind of wish that there, were, it, there was that access in other sports as well. I mean, I don't know how possible it would be to do it in other sports, but... You no, know. I agree. I, I, I thought one time that they, what they should do is like a football tournament, like a World Cup. You know what I mean? Follow a few of the teams around for that sort of thing. I mean, a football tournament would be a lot more accessible. To the, I mean... But do you know what I mean, though? Because then, or, or, you know, I don't know, rugby... Do, do you know what I mean, though? A tournament and you follow all the teams around like you do with Formula One. I think that'd be quite a cool way of doing it. Yeah, and I mean, I don't see why, that, why they couldn't. I think one of the... My... Um, the big things watching Formula One that really spoke to me, just again, going back to how it's shot and things like that. Why don't they use those camera angles on their sky coverage? You know, some of those ground shots, particularly the, um, at the episode where the, I think, was it they were at Spa or something? And you see the... Yeah, they do show that. They do show that one. Going up Eau Rouge. They do show yeah, that. They do but, show no, that. but I, maybe it wasn't Spa then. I think there was, there was one where you have a ground shot and it's the cars going really fast over. I think it is. And I'm, I was thinking, about. why don't they? Why don't they show? But they need to show so many more shots like that. It's, in... it's funny you say that though. If I can just say, because I remember I was watching Spa highlights, and it was a few years ago, and um, David Croft, the lead commentator, he was you know talking about it, and it, it showed that shot of the cars almost going over the camera, up right up the hill, and he's like, wow, what a camera angle. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, show that more. You yeah, know what I mean, definitely show yeah. that more because it's very hot. It's a very um, I feel like until recently, Formula One's been a bit of a hard sell to my friends because we know how fast they're going. Mm. And people who are into Formula One, the driver and the drivers, they all know how fast they're going. But from the sky's camera angle, and I get that they want to show as much of the race as possible. And it's very hard to do that on a, in a series of like jumpy, fast camera angles. But maybe just, you know, a couple of times every other lap, mm. just show an angle where I want to see Lewis Hamilton going at mm. 160 miles an hour. I want to get, I want to get that sense of speed because ultimately that's what car fans love. We all love cars going very fast. Mm. We don't want to see, you know, um, we, we don't really want to see, you know, the, the whole broader picture of the race all the time. We would quite like to see just you know, one angle of Lewis yeah. Hamilton, 160 miles an hour in Silverstone going in at 180 miles an hour on the fastest corner. We want to see that speed yeah. and you don't quite get it sometimes. It's like when you're in a plane, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel that quick yeah. because it's, it's all kind of relative. Yeah. You know what I mean, and that's the thing. And I, I agree. I think they could be a bit more creative with the way that they try and shoot it to, to um, benefit the, 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 the speed loving audience that, yeah. that we are. Which really is all Formula One fans, I guess. Yeah. And you know how you, you know, we're talking about this one and if we liked it and all that sort of thing. I do think this is the poorest season of it so far. That's a pretty bold statement to make. I'm very interested here why you think it's the worst. I wouldn't say it's the best, but I want to know why you think it's the worst. The main thing um, that I feel when I watch it now is I just think that Drive to Survive has become such a, such a thing now. I think when it first happened, it felt a lot more organic. And it felt like you were just interviewing the people. They didn't know how big the show was going to be. And they were saying what they thought. And that was kind of how it goes. You had Christian Horner was always a large part of it. And Daniel Ricciardo was always early on quite a large part of it. But I just feel as though now, I feel as though maybe you could put it down to acting up to the cameras or something like that. I just feel that, oh, they see it as a PR um, project. And I think that people just really try and capitalize on that quite a lot. Who's they? I think people like Christian Horner. Okay, I'm glad you said Christian Horner because... I would love to sit here and just rant about Christian Horner for a long time because I just think every single time he came up on screen, I just thought, shut up. And I, his, when his wife chimed in as well. 
Jerry. I, don't, I don't know why Jerry Halliwell was in it. Sorry, to be fair, why, is, why is a Spice Girl chiming in? Imagine watching a Premier League years and having Posh Spice giving her analysis on things. I guess it's because they want to show a human element to it. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind no, of like, that's not what it is at all. And you it, know it's, it, no, it's no, no, not. Can I say though? Can I say my point? Because that's what I think it is. Because you know, it interviews Christian Horner at home, talking to his kids and things like that. It tries to show that family side to him of the things that yes, this is what happens on a racetrack to make your car go quicker and how you have to relax. You know, speak to people in the paddock. But how do you, you know, balance that with life and you know, home life and all that sort of thing? I, th- I can see, I can see the appeal of having more family life in it. But with all due respect, I don't care about Christian Horner's home life. I do not care. I don't care that he's married to a Spice Girl. The only reason one of the Spice Girls was in there, Ginger Spice, that's her, Ginger Spice was in there is because she's a Spice Girl and she's famous and Netflix just want the, Netflix just want the famous girl in there. It's not because she's got anything to add to Formula One. Just because she's married to him. No one, to be fair, it's not like she had loads of interviews. When she was in it, she was very much in it speaking to Christian about it. It's not like she, oh, exactly. she never sat down in the room, you know, no, and, I, I, and I know that. But okay, different. Uh, let's take season three, you know, when um, Grosjean had his burns and his wife came in and she explained what it was like for her. That's fine. I can understand that. But what I don't want to hear is ba- Ginger Spice from a massive house in Oxford going, oh, well, I hope Max wins on the weekend. Like, I, I don't, I really don't care. I really, really do not care about Christian Horner playing catch with his kids in a massive orchard. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't want to, I just don't want to see that. Maybe you do. Maybe, maybe people have, maybe fans of Red Bull really want to see the rich man in Oxfordshire, you know, make blowing bubbles. And Mike is a West Ham fan. I'm sure he'd like to see Christian Horner blowing bubbles. But... but think about it. The whole thing is behind the scenes. And that is literally behind the scenes. No, that's, that's not supposed, that's not what this is supposed to be behind the scenes. I'd rather, I'd rather see, I'd rather dedicate that time to, you know, Christian Horner talking to, giving in-depth, you know, analysis on how he's, how Max is going to improve on his next race. Okay, what do, what, even, even though they won, Max, how are you going to, how are you going to step up? I would have loved, you know, when they talked about that five win stint, that's the, that's the most that Red Bull's been on. Isn't that the most that Red Bull's been on? Probably since, like, probably since. No, no, I think it's the most it's ever, it's ever been on. Even since Vettel days. Yeah, yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure it's the most that it's, it's ever been on, because I'm pretty sure Vettel's only won four back-to-backs. Oh, four. Races or championships? Before races back to back. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I mean, I can, we can check that stat later yeah. on. I'll take, I'll take your word for it. I mean, it was a, regardless, it was a huge, huge milestone in Red, Bull, in Red Bull's history, especially with such a young driver. Max is only, what, 23, 24? And then they, oh, we, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I'm going to show me playing with my dog in my massive house. I, I oh, don't, I just on. don't. You're what being, do you mean? You're being, come on. You're being flippant. It's I'm not, not I'm it's, really not. But Netflix aren't saying this. <laughs> who cares let's show you know how far can he lob that ball and is the, <laughs> Just, and is the dog look, gonna get it who cares who cares and tell love, me who cares I love this how it started off as me being the one slagging off drive to survive and now I'm the one defending it and, <laughs> you, and, you, and you're like yeah and another thing Netflix <laughs> well, yeah, it's so called Netflix no but tell me then why, why is it in there to show personal side because you know, the whole part of it, what you liked about F1 is because you before that, you just watched it. Now you get it. And now you get the personalities and the characters behind it. I think the very reason that you like Drive to Survive is for the same reasons that you don't like it. Because you like to get to know them. No. But, but for people you don't like, you don't want to get to know them. If it was Hamilton, it was a bit expose about what he was up to. You'd be like, yeah, come on. What else are you going to do? Hammer time? Oh, no. Come, that's ridiculous. If Kendall Jenner and Gigi Hadid were, you know coat in arms with Lewis Hamilton. I would still think, why is one of the Kardashians that I don't really, I really don't care about keeping up with the Kardashians. That's on E! Entertainment and I can deal with that. We had the Spice Girls movement. I'm done with Spice Girls. I don't care. I do not care about how Ginger Spice feels about Sergio Perez. Jerry, you've had your time, all right? Yeah, I'm not saying she's had her time. I'm just saying there's, a, I'm saying there's a time and a place, to be honest, if anything. And to me, okay, you made, the point, you made the point about Lewis Hamilton saying that if it was Lewis Hamilton, I'd be all for it. I really wouldn't. I think what was, what was sort of classy about Lewis Hamilton, particularly in, se- particularly in season three, is the only real time that we got a sort of, um, maybe an, a kind of expose on the, the man behind the helmet sort of thing was when he started talking about Black Lives Matter. That was the first time we really got, a, you, know, the, you know, the human sense of Lewis Hamilton, not this, you know, absolute machine behind the wheel the the serial winner we actually saw the more compassionate side of him i'm all for it in that instance what i can't be doing with is this reality tv puff piece about how virtuous christian horner is and 
you know, oh, look at me playing with my kids, you know. I, I, we, we get it. You have kids, you're a family man. And I didn't really like it when Toto Wolf was doing it either. Didn't really well, like it. Well, to be the... fair, Susie, she's a CEO and like managing director at Mercedes. So... I don't, yeah, but you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to create this, oh, here's, here's the power couple of F1. And okay, I don't, I don't okay, like that fine, narrative either. Fine, I don't care. But they are actually a legitimate power couple. In that respect, because she is CEO and managing director, like she has absolutely, you know, she's got a right to be there. Compared to Jerry Halliwell. No, she's got, I'm not saying she's, I'm saying she's got the right to be there, but I'm not, but, you know, creating the narrative about the power couple of F1. I don't think it's a narrative. I think facts are facts. And I personally, I, I, I didn't even think that myself. I think, I think um, they try and make it more Toto, Toto versus Christian. But I think, I think in this essence, they are obviously a power couple. You can't really deny that. We've kind of gone off on a bit of a tangent there about why this was the worst season of <laughs> yeah, no. Drive Time. I'm sorry about that. But why, um, okay, well, why do you think it was the worst season then? Okay, so first of all, you know, just to summarize my previous point, is I think that it's become this thing now and people act up to the cameras. And maybe that is Christian Horner um, goes overboard with how much of a family man he is and that sort of thing. You know, and maybe the Netflix kind of um, gets swindled by it or something like that. And I think, yeah, I, I think beforehand they wouldn't think as much before they say things and now it's all very uh, strategic i also think one of the reasons i struggled to enjoy it this season was because i'm still not over the end of last season to be honest i um i had a weird one because this season i i went into it and i was um i was rooting for verstappen to win it because i i i you know we'll go into i know you don't like him but i i, I kind of wanted someone else you know someone else new on the scene i'd seen it you know i have loads of respect for hamilton really you know etc etc but I wanted someone else to win it. And then as the season went on and it developed and Hamilton came back into it, I kind of thought, oh, actually, you know, it's cool to see him actually as the underdog now suddenly. That's the kind of a side to Hamilton you've never seen before. Um, and, and the way it ended at the end really still winds me up, to be honest, to such, a, to such an extent that I watch it in all these great Hamilton moments and other races throughout the season and I was kind of like, oh, it's so tarnished. It's so tainted now. Okay, let's, let's um, strip it all back. Can you explain to everyone then what, what, for those who don't know, what happened at the end of the last Grand Prix season? So to, to set the scene, Lewis Hampton and Max Verstappen, are, 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 let's say, lev- let's just put it as level on points. They're they literally were, level on points. Like, as in like, it was, it was um, yeah, level on points. And Lewis, so... At the end of the season, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen are level on points going into the very last race of the yeah. um, Grand Prix season, which is the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Yeah. What happened? Oh, so basically, okay, so Max Verstappen's on pole, so he starts in first place and he goes off, blah, blah, blah. And Hamilton, you know, Ham- Hamilton gets the lead, uh, effectively. And um, they're, they're, what, five or so laps from the end? And, a, and a, a driver for Williams called Nicholas Latifi then crashes into the wall, which means that they have to have safety cars and they all have to follow the safety cars so you've got hamilton first um and then you've got all the, the cars that he's lapped after him um because obviously you know being in the fastest car you lap loads of cars etc so it's lewis and then five cars and verstappen and michael massey the race director decided massively unconventionally i don't know if there's any precedent for this that only the cars between verstappen and hamilton could unlap themselves generally it's the rule of thumb that everyone unlaps themselves. Everyone does it or no one does it. What happened was only the cars that could influence the title race could unlap themselves. So effectively, you've got Hamilton and then Verstappen, who'd, then, um, who'd recently pitted to get fresh tyres on uh, one and two, one next to each other with one lap effectively to win the season. And so this is a massive, massive disadvantage for Hamilton. So if I explain that really poorly. Yeah, I mean, it's a ba- basically to kind of put it into... Again, maybe just a bit more simpler terms is that when you un- so to un if everyone had unlapped themselves, the distance covered would have been a lot greater, meaning that Hamilton would have had a much better chance of winning the race. And considering he was so far ahead, I mean, it, it, to the point where he was about half a track ahead, maybe possibly more than half and a track it, ahead it, of Verstappen, yeah. having had such a great race, he was if all the cars had unlapped themselves, Hamilton would have been so far ahead. Verstappen wouldn't have caught up and Hamilton would have, some would say rightly, I mean, most people would say rightly, won the Grand Prix and therefore the championship. However, because only the five cars unlapped themselves, it gave, Ham- it gave Verstappen enough, and oh, I want to say he also closed the gap, which I still think is wrong. You may think, you may disagree. That I is think, allowed to do it. I know, I know, but I still think it's wrong. Um, because there was enough distance for Verstappen to 
get past Hamilton. He had softer tires, and a softer tire means they're lighter and you can go faster, but they're they quicker. wear. Out. Yeah, they, you can go faster, but they do. The reason why people have soft tires is because they wear out a bit quicker. So he they he had softer tires. The distance was great enough that he could beat Hamilton. And this caused, obviously, at the time, a lot of uh, uproar amongst F1 fans. And to be fair, a lot of sports fans in general, I spoke to a lot of my friends who'd never really seen F1 before, wanted to watch that race, and they were kind of disgusted by the lack of sporting integrity in Verstappen winning the championship. So you're saying that this tarnished watching the season for you then because you knew the ending? Yeah. I mean, I would have known the ending anyway. You know, no spoilers Mm. really with this. But it was just, it was the way it happened. And I think that people were kind of, I, for me, I, you know, I'm, I'm only 23. I've not seen loads and loads of seasons, but that's the best season I've ever seen and the best season I've ever known of, to be honest, right down to the last race that had level on points in such a dramatic fashion and the races that you had along the way. Everyone's just saying this is just so unbelievable. And for it to end in such an artificially manufactured way, it's so painful. It's really frustrating. Two points on that. First of all, I, actually, I sympathize massively with Verstappen as well. Because he has such a tarnished title. He has such an asterisk next to his title. And I don't think he deserves that. I think whoever... I, I went into that race thinking, whoever wins this deserves the championship. Because they've both been amazing all season. Incredible. Yeah. If, if you look at the stats, Verstappen did. As much as I dislike him and I dislike Christian Horner, they, Red Bull had a sensational season. A, a absolutely amazing season. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, he didn't deserve to have a tarnished title. You know, let's face it. If you're in that position, you, you know, you're going to overtake, aren't you? You're going to do what you can do to win it. Yeah. But he now needs to win another one, for me, in my opinion, for his to, you know, to not have an asterisk next to his title. Um, so, that, so that was really poor. The worst thing for me you can ever, ever do in sport is artificially manufacture drama. I think that's the beauty of sport is you don't know what's going to come. The fact that you're moving cars out the way for one lap of the most incredible season to have a showdown between the top two stinks. Okay, there's a lot of... Um... Amongst sports fans, there's a lot of conspiracy around corruption in sport. We're both football fans, and you know we've discussed before how we think there might be a bit of corruption in sports. You know the fact that Sky even promotes something like a Big Six shows that they're obviously you know wanting to market other people, and does that mean they keep them at the top because they're the market? That's the marketing strategy. In the very first episode of Drive to Survive this year, the president, whose name has escaped me again, uh, the Italian guy, yeah. he said... D- Domenico? Yeah, it's something like that. He, he said, the battle for the top is all that matters in Formula One. It validates Formula One, Form- Formula One, Formula One as a sport in the world. Now, that is a disgusting sentence for two reasons. One, we saw what happened on the last day. That's, has that ever happened before in Formula One? No. Very strange it's happened this year after he said that. Second of all, it should be about sporting integrity. It should not be about, we need to validate ourselves for the rest of the world. That doesn't, sorry, that does not matter. What are you talking about? That doesn't matter at all. What matters is who does that. Sport should be the epitome of meritocracy. It should be about, whoever deserves it should be there. It shouldn't be about you trying to validate Formula One. Well, if Mercedes are better, they're better. If Red Bull are better, they're better. Now, here's what I will say. You said about the, the, the last race, and that is true. Everything you said, I agree with. It, it made, we watched it together, and it made me sick to my stomach watching what happened. I couldn't, I couldn't remember. We were in your yeah, apartment, yeah, yeah. and I was incensed at what I was seeing. However, the, something, the thing that's been eating away at me is this whole season was Mercedes's to lose. And the fact is, as you see in the third episode of Drive to Survive, they did not make a fast enough car. They made a car that was amazing at 180 to 200 miles an hour, that was woeful at 140 to 150 miles an hour, and that lost them a series of races. Monaco, I think it was, where was the one where Hamilton finished? Yeah, Monaco was his Monaco. Seventh, seventh in Monaco, yeah. I think, Hamilton. And they even said, the car's, the car's not fast enough in slow, windy corners. I, 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 well, what? what do you mean? Toto, you've been in this you've been, been in the sport for what, 16 years now? You've been in charge of Mercedes for seven? You, you don't you didn't know that you have to make a fast car or a, you have to make a car that can do well at 140 miles an hour. I don't know. I think that's hard. I mean, he's a seven-time world champion, you know, team principal. I don't think it was just like, oh, come on, Toto. You missed out the downforce bit of the car. Do you know what I mean? Like obviously that it's not like it, these things happen. And I think it comes down to just as much Do as, they? Yeah. 
What do you mean these things happen? I think just as much it comes down to Red Bull closing the gap as Mercedes easing off a little bit. Well, not easing off, having a you know poorer season compared to their domination. Easing off, is com- easing off is coming second in all those races, not seventh, fifth, 14th. I mean, they won the constructors, so it's not like they massively fell off. You know, they were still... Touche. They, they won, yeah, the team competition. But I, what I then don't want to hear in a... And, but again, watching it, I remember... Cause I, I am a massive Lewis Hamilton fan, and he was, the, he was the reason I really started watching Formula 1. To then see this... What, what I, I mean, watching it, I couldn't quite see the solution to it. it was so, I was so glad he had this great resurgence in the second half of the season. But, I mean, watching it at the time... I just remember like, not really having an explanation for what was happening. I just remember watching it thinking like, I can't, you know, my dad had asked me, well, what's going on? Why is Hamilton doing this? My dad, you know, he likes Formula One as well, but not, not as much as me. And he would say to me, so why, why, is Ham- why is this happening to Hamilton? It's very hard for me to give an explanation when you just, you're seeing something happen before your eyes that you haven't seen for seven years. We haven't, I haven't seen Lewis Hamilton or Mercedes do so badly. I couldn't, I couldn't quite get to grips with it. Um, so, again, worst season of Drive to Survive. Do you honestly think it was worse than the second season? Oh, I, I don't know. I just remember, the only reason I say that it's the least, my least favourite one, is every other one I've absolutely devoured, to be honest. I've watched it in, you know, not one setting, but, you know, there or thereabouts. And this one, here we are, I finished it today, and I, I didn't feel that same, you know... Uh, addiction to it really i didn't feel like i wanted to come back just as just as much i feel as though it's it felt a little bit too airbrushed this time that's that's what too I airbrushed yeah yeah just in terms of you know how um the drama is manufactured from netflix's side how i think people like will buxton you know the f1 journalist who's on it i think he's really over dramatic in it half the time um how, how the interviewees respond to certain questions i just don't think it's quite as um it's actually fly on the wall as it once was. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question, though. I, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Do you think that F1 as an institution will be happier with this season of Drive to Survive than previous years? Because I certainly do. I think not, because I think it kind of brings Formula One to an extent into disrepute. Because, How? Because you had people like Carlos Sainz saying, that's not right. Um, and you had, I think, a, a few other people. You know, I think it was Lance Stroll saying it was ridiculous and all that sort of thing. And I don't know how much Chase Carey and, 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 and the heads of F- F1 would like to look back on it and say, well, that's divided the drivers. That's shown that, you know, we're, we're a bit of a, you know, a weaker uh, body than we maybe want to act like we are. And I think it invites criticism, things like Drive to Survive as well, of, of F1 as a, as a governing institution. I think I've got to disagree with you there. I think that the amount of people who will have been enticed by this drama, however fake it may be, however artificial it may be, the amount of people that will have been enticed by what they saw, I think it's only going to grow F1. Oh, no, I, I'm... Yeah, and I, that's, I, and I, I, I just think as, I think as, a, as an institution, I think the people at F1, maybe because... And again, maybe it comes back to the fact that there is no sporting integrity in F1 anymore and we're starting to lose that, but... I think as a puff piece for what F1 is, it created drama, it, it, you know. And again, it still kept those elements of Drive to Survive that I like. I do agree, though, next season, um, I would maybe like to see less of the, you know, the, the dramatization, the sensationalism in the, in the headlines and in the editing together. I think, I think if it comes back next year, I, it'd be a really different looking thing. I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Will Buxton isn't doing it. Because I think I've seen this is the first season again on Twitter. I've seen so much criti- it's come in for so much criticism. Mm-hmm. Beforehand, it's been effectively, you know, one way praise for the show, the way it looks, the way it is. This season, I've seen a lot more criticism. I think people are maybe acting a bit more objective with it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Will Buxton doesn't do it. He seems to have got quite a bit of stick online, and I, I don't know how he's going to take that. And I just wouldn't be surprised if a few other drivers stop doing it. Okay, well, let's look ahead to the coming season then. So at the time of recording this, we've just had um, all the testing is done. And the first race is this weekend. I'll come to you then. Um, so let's talk, let's talk about the testing and what happened at testing. Thoughts on it? <laughs> Thoughts on testing? Well, my, my overriding thought is that Mercedes are sandbagging, which effectively means for people that don't know, they're not showing their true pace. Maybe they're weighing down their car. Maybe they're 
You know, doing other sort of techniques just oh, to not God, show you're dead not one of those face. conspiracy theorists. No. George Russell not getting hitting eighth, are you? No, because sandbagging's a genuine thing in F1. Yeah, no, I know, but as in uh, you're not. You know, have you seen that thing on TikTok where it was like, oh, George Russell didn't hit eighth gear, and that means he can't hack Mercedes. Like, oh, no, no, I don't, that, that's, no, I don't agree with that. That no. is absolute nonsense. I just want to put that out there right now. First of all, there's video footage of him hitting eighth gear. No, but I think every year we have this, this faux capitulation from Mercedes because, you know, let's face it, other teams probably want to see it happen as well. Maybe, you know, journalists are egging on the drama. But I think, um, I don't think they're as going to be as slow as it, it maybe initially seems. Okay, uh, you've said uh, um, uh, journalists and the drama. Let's go back to the documentary then. <laughs> that was a quick one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do, I do think it's quite interesting, though, that you know, we've talked about there's already, already drama in testing. I mean, look, go back to 2014. How much drama was there in testing? No one, no one cared. <laughs> I mean, no, no, realistically, no one cared until the first weekend of Formula One, Bahrain, which is Bahrain. Um, uh, the point I'm making is that no one really cared about it at all and now all of a sudden there's all this drama you know Lewis Hamilton he's taken a hiatus he's not on social media anymore. is everything now in Formula 1 just a further plot line for Drive to Survive I wouldn't be surprised I remember one year I saw a, a Twitter conspiracy and it was that you know how when Haas had Ma- um, Magnussen and Grosjean yes and they were both so so poor one season they were both so poor and someone on Twitter believed the only reason Gunter Steiner and Haas kept them on was because of the Netflix drama that it could create. So, you know, people think this is quite deep-rooted, these... these, these um, I don't think that's too dramatic. ridiculous at all. Yeah, but these... Well, I mean, to be fair, a team keeping on two players, two um, drivers for a, for a Netflix documentary. Like, oh, Henry, come on. You know how... Think how much money that might generate for them. Yeah, I do get that. But I also... And, and I'm not saying it's not true. I'm actually agreeing with you in the sense that it just shows how, um, how, how deep-rooted and how long-term this influence has been. And now that Drive to Survive is such a global phenomenon, really, you could see maybe even more of it now, really. I mean, the problem, uh, it's only just come to me. You know, do, doing what we do, we get to talk to quite a lot of influential journalists out there and people who work behind the scenes on a lot of TV shows. And I've had the, the fortune of talking to um, a couple of people who worked on the Osbournes show. And I don't know if you, Henry, you know what the Osbournes was. It was a, a reality show that followed Ozzy Osbourne, Sharon Osbourne, Kelly Osbourne, and one other whose name I can't remember now. But what they were said, what I've found quite interesting speaking to people who do work in reality TV shows um, is that is just how much of what is perceived to be real is so fabricated. And one thing I would, would hate to see is think, you know, when things like Lewis Hamilton took his hiatus from social media, I would hate that to be a marketing strategy. Things like, you know, um, things like what's happened at testing with, um, you know, like you say, Mercedes potentially sandbagging. I would hate for that to just be a marketing strategy. I don't want to see... So can I just say, for sandbagging, I think that is strictly to hide their pace. Yeah, No, and I get... that, That might be true. What I'm saying is I would hate for it to be a marketing strategy. I would hate for... Next season in uh, Drive to Survive, we hear about, you know, we've got problems with the car, blah, blah, blah. We don't know how well we're going to do this year. I would, I'd hate for it to be that. I, I would much rather, actually, it be, a, you know, a bit of sport, a gamesmanship, you know, a bit of game theory being like, we're not going to show what the, tr- the car can truly do. Like, wasn't, and the, wasn't there a thing recently where um, Christian Horner had to, uh, said that what Mercedes had, Mercedes had done with the car was illegal? The rear wing thing. Yeah. Can you explain to everyone that Well, uh, yeah, they... Mercedes basically, I don't know if they didn't they'd change their rear wing or something, but they were quicker and straight, I think up to 20 odd, 20 odd kilometers slash miles an hour, something like that. Um, and they, yeah, they, they were complaining to the stewards about it. The stewards checked over the car and it was completely legitimate. Exactly. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Christian Horner, as much as I dislike him, he's a smart enough man. He's been in the sport a long time. He knows how all this works. He knew, he definitely, definitely knew that that was a completely legal move by Mercedes. I don't, I don't believe, I do not believe for a second he thought that this was illegal. And a big part of it for me was let's get, let's get the drama going. Let's get the drama going into the season. Let's get, you know, let's keep the, let's keep this wheel rolling. Mm. And it all, it's, it's starting to, it's starting to seem just a little bit one after the other, you know, oh, now this is happening in Formula One. Now this is what happening in Formula One. Everyone keep your eyes on us because what they don't want is to have this peak of drama which was 
you know, one of the most iconic races of one of the most iconic moments in sport in the last decade, to be fair. It was huge. I mean, to beat the Super Bowl, that's massive. And then what they don't want is to, to, to drop and drop and drop, and it's a plateau back into irrelevancy again. So do you think it's just going to keep escalating this sort of... You know, not, obviously not in the same way, but do you think that the, the, the more drama that we've not seen before, you know, kinds of drama we've not seen before might come into it? Because if you're referring to things like sandbagging and, or like, oh, you know, next season's going to be like, oh, the, the problems we had in testing... They did that. They did that in this season, you know? So I'm kind of thinking that if they try and bang that drum again, it, it would be quite boring anyway as it currently stands. All I'm saying is, okay, this, and this is a, kind of leading into a prediction for next year, but I think it's fueled again by this idea of drama. And if something like this happens, it's going to really make me uncomfortable. Don't be surprised if Ferrari win this year. I wouldn't be surprised. I think they're, they're, they're quickest, you know? Well, they're not- I mean... I, I know a lot. I know a lot of journalists have. Uh, you were saying that a lot of journalists have been um, trying to uh, spin this narrative about how Ferrari are very likely to win it this year. I think a very interesting. I mean, again, maybe maybe I'm just being, you know, so pessimistic about the whole thing. I just think I can see it being a very interesting narrative about you know how could season season five of Drive to Survive is about the resurgence of Ferrari and Ferrari going back on top. And you can, you know, you've got then this whole chance to do this big thing about, you know, let's look at the history of Ferrari and that, oh, here's the storyline. I mean, to, to cover that ground, Mercedes and Red Bull were so far clear of the competition last year. The battle was between McLaren and Ferrari. For Ferrari to suddenly overtake Red Bull and Mercedes takes something special. I think it'd be the least um, sudden thing, though, as well, because... This new season of F1 has got new regulations, new financial structure. The car is completely reshaped and remolded. It was initially supposed to come in last year. Last season was meant to be this first year of the new era of F1. And so, I don't think it's sudden. They've been planning ahead for this for absolutely ages, as they do every season with Formula 1. Often, teams get to around, um, I don't know, a third into the season, halfway through the season, and the vast, vast majority of their funds go away from the current season and focus on next year. So Ferrari have had two years with the biggest budget in F1 by quite a distance to work on this new car in preparation for this new era. I don't think it's sudden. I don't think it's um, unsurprising that they're going to you know, look good this year. Do you not think it is? A... Actually saying that, I mean, I, I mean, I'm just thinking in my head, obviously we had 2013 with what Mercedes suddenly burst onto the scene doing. So well, it's not, yeah, okay. it's not, but uh, it's for, not unheard context, of. For some context though, it's because the new hybrid engine era, what happened there? It wasn't just that Mercedes suddenly got better. No, a, a, a new a, engine era came in and well, Mercedes and that's, and that's were highly funded. And obviously that's my point is that, you know, it's a, it's a new, it's a new idea of what a Formula One car is. So obviously, you know, it, it, it could be quite a similar thing. Part of a little, just a little part of my brain though, eating away at me saying, Here's the new narrative. Here's the new narrative. Ferrari are back. Ferrari are back. Ferrari are back. But to be fair, I mean, if you take Drive to Survive out of the equation, Ferrari quickest in testing, that is the narrative. You don't need Drive to Survive to, to, to produce that because that's what people are thinking anyway. Do you know what I mean? You don't have any sort of cameras in your face. If Ferrari <coughs> are, the, are, the, are the quickest team currently going, there's your narrative. You don't need any sort of Hollywood, Hollywoodification of that. I'm sorry, I'm just going to let Hollywoodification yeah. just sit there. That's quite good, I think. Is that a word? No, it is. Okay, well, you'd hear that. That's now on the Cinemasters Dictionary. <laughs> Magnum opus and Hollywoodification <laughs> firmly into the Cinemasters Dictionary. No, I mean, you, I do think you're right. I mean, there's, uh, the, li- the likelihood is that it's not, it's, this isn't you know, some fabricated thing. Ferrari genuinely are just the fast... You know, they have probably got the best car this year. I mean, they, I mean we don't know. They're quickest in testing. Yeah. That's the best way to look at it. Yeah. Let's, well, fair, let's take it at face to value. To be fair, in the very last testing, Verstappen was quickest. But yeah, face value, it is what it is. I'll tell opinion. you what, what a good looking car that Ferrari car yeah, is though. It's stunning. I, agree. I mean, it's the, it's the first like proper, I think gen, I'm going gonna, gonna to go out on a massive limb here and say, I think this is the, certainly in my lifetime, this is the first good looking Ferrari car. I think they As all, it, the, the, some of them have been quite striking, but I think, this one's like a, a good-looking car. It looks, yeah, it looks luxurious and yeah. really. It's the curves for me. It's not. It's the lack mm. of sharpness. It's all. I, I do agree. I do think. I think Ferrari have always had quite. I think red's quite an attractive 
color on a car anyway. Yeah. Um, I think they've had some less nice cars, but I think they've always been decent. I quite like the Mercedes are back to silver this year, though. I think they've, I think they've nailed it. I didn't like their silver before. Oh, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't like Mercedes. I, I, I know, I know. I've spoken a few of my mates are the same, and they're not happy that so like, they are the silver arrows. They have to go back to silver <laughs> at some point. And I think, I, I think to be fair to them, it's the best looking Mercedes I've ever seen. Oh, that's ridiculous. Last year's was so much better. Oh, uh, I mean, silver Mercedes. Oh, sorry. Right. The, the and actually, Mercedes. actually, no, now that I have said that, I would say the best ever Mercedes. Ever oh, seen. Henry, stop it. You're just saying that to be. Well, well, how about we can, we could do a little clip and get the photos up and mm. then and show the, show yeah, the people. I mean, After I won the um, Spider-Man poll as to who the best Spider-Man is. I don't I, think you did. I'm. I'm willing to extend this further and to see whether or not people agree with me on the Mercedes bandwagon. So are you saying that the truth is then just what everyone agrees on? Because that's not, to me, that's not what the truth is. The truth, the truth is bona fide fact. And the fact Can you is... Ha- no, no, because this is opinion. You can't have truth when it comes to opinion, Tom. We're comparing cars. Yet the true answer is the black one. You yeah. know what, you know what I will is, say? No, that's the correct one. Here's what I will say. <laughs> I've never been wrong in 22 years and I don't intend to be wrong now. <laughs> Um, no, okay, well, again, looking, so let's look forward into this, looking forward into the season then. Are you, so, so if you ha- if you were a betting man, not saying that you are, not saying that you aren't. Sadly, sadly I am. With Cheltenham going on right now, probably shouldn't be. But, um, looking forward into the season then, what are your predictions? Let's get, okay, let's go, a t- let's go a construction championship. Who is it? Red Bull. Driver. Hamilton. And this one, this one's going to, oh, this one's be quite a good, interesting point. At the end of the season, or maybe midway through, actually, no, hang on, hang on. I want you to predict, I want to predict a flop. Which team will do quite poorly? Aston Martin. I was literally thinking Aston Martin as well, but um, okay. And then the end of the season, who's going to be the big transfer at the end of the year? Um, Gasly to Mercedes. Hamilton's last season of this bomb. He's going to win it, drop out, Gasly to Mercedes. Okay. So, for me, Constructor, I'm going to say Mercedes. The winners, the, the championship, I'm going to give it to Lewis Hamilton. The flop, I'm going Aston Martin. And the transfer, now this, this one, I, I think, I, I've, I've, been thinking, I've been thinking about this for a while. And I know what you're. I know what you're going to say. I think it's going to be Daniel Ricciardo. I think he's going to Mercedes. Really? Um, oh, I think he's. I think his moments passed for the big move. Oh, the, the 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 thing I would want to say about Daniel Ricciardo, I think, because George Russell is so young. I think Daniel Ricciardo. I, I, I think Lewis Hamilton is too much of a bona fide winner now. I don't think Lewis Hamilton's going to want to play second fiddle like Bottas did, and. I think Daniel Ricciardo might get to a stage now where he's talented enough, but he's talented enough behind the wheel. He would make a great number two for someone like George Russell. I guess it so, would be a safe bet. Yeah. I don't. I with with your shout about Pierre Gasly going to Mercedes. I think Gasly's too eager. I think he's too eager to be, you know, the the star. Whereas I think George Russell, with his with his talent, I think he could he could go on to really rival Max because I think what, what Mercedes are going to have to be careful of once Lewis goes, I don't know who they've got to really rival Max Verstappen in terms of talent. Yeah. I mean, obviously they hope it'll be George Russell. I don't, I'll be honest with you as much as I dislike Max Verstappen. Don't think he's got the chops or I don't think, I don't think George Russell's quite got the chops yet. He needs, he needs Daniel oh, yeah. Ricciardo. He, 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 he needs, needs he, someone he, like Daniel Ricciardo. To be fair, he could also do with someone like Sebastian Vettel. Don't think he, I don't think he will. Who I says do. Vettel, by the way? Do you, think, do you say Vettel? Yeah. You're meant to say Sebastian Vettel. In fact, I think because Germans pronounce their Vs like an F, it's meant to be Vettel, if I'm honest. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it's Vettel. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how you say it in a German accent. Vettel. Sebastian Vettel. You guys didn't have to have Tom look in your eyes, your eyes as he said that with genuine sincerity. That was painful. <laughs> yeah, Vettel and Hamilton will go Vettel. neck and neck. No, actually, I'd actually say Vettel is arguably my favorite driver. I love him. I think he's such a good guy. You know, that, that person I mentioned earlier, uh, the one whose dad is um, really into Formula One, we were chatting in the pub and she was saying that, you know, she'd never really bared much interest in cars 
and she was saying, I, I have this photo here of me sat in um, a Formula One car. And she showed me it. And I looked at it for a bit and I was like, I know that car. Why do I know that car? And then I clocked. That was Sebastian Vettel's championship winning car. Oh, really? And she said she looked That's me. Cool. She had to audacity to look me in the eye and say, "I don't, I don't." I was like, "You know that's oh my god, you know that's Vettel's winning Vettel. You know that's Vettel's winning car." And she went, "Oh yeah, well it, it was just a car to me. My dad just put me in it." What? I, I can't lie to you. So I'm so glad we started talking about Vettel with two minutes to go because I could not have spoken about. <laughs> I can't have a conversation with you for much longer knowing that you say Vettel. Well, as you say, we do. Have, we should probably wrap this up. So. Let's do what we always do here on Cinemasters and give this a rating. So, go on. I'll leave it. I'll head over to you first. Give it your rating. Sixty-three. You know what? That, that's fair. That's fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a bit higher and I'm gonna go sixty-six. I was gonna go sixty-six, and then I thought that sounds like I'm being too generous, and I actually want to. I want to. I want to take it down a bit. So yeah, similar way. I think sixty-six is fair because there's room for improvement. It's not. It wasn't perfect, but there's still room for improvement and i think if you'd have asked me what was season three i would have gone 69 don't laugh come on <laughs> oh come on <laughs> we can, I, I've, I was saying that the other day we can never ever give a show a rating of 69 can we because especially with mikey but well, thank god mikey's not here for this one because that would just result in a in a flurry of cackles so <laughs> well anyway um, that's it from us this week. Please do listen in next week when we are going to be discussing Genius, the Kanye West documentary. So I encourage all of you to get watching it because it is amazing. So until then, guys, I've been Tom Pridgen. I've been Henry Vittel. <laughs> I'm sure wait till everyone's finished laughing at that great joke. I can laugh. I'm holding back my own laughter. I've been Henry Williams. And we will see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you.